Um, so this is, um, I'm going to be handing it off to Buck, but this is a panel about the world's greatest comedian and the world's greatest filmmaker, asterisk. Because uh, so, I know that that's contentious and I know that I'm not getting into a film Twitter fight right now. Um, this is about Jack and Orson Welles. Uh, and to best explain what we're going to do here, I bring it over to the one and only Buck Benny OTR. <laughs> well, this is, this is fun. We were looking forward to this. Uh, I'm just so glad that my panel is able to come in and, and join us. Um, we, we have Vincent Longo here, who's, who's new to a lot of you folks. But he is a Jack. I'm Jack Betty. He's an Orson Welles historian, really, and and a historian overall as well. But but it, it, his insights into what Orson's going through on any particular occasion and time is pretty cool uh, that he can add in here. And then of course we have Catherine Foley Seeley. Uh, who's done uh, just a few books there on, on Jack Benny. <laughs> and, and we, we have me who's done nothing but podcasts on Jack Benny. <laughs> and, nothing. That's not nothing. <laughs> and our good friend, Zach. So uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about Orson Welles and just uh, Orson Welles' impact on the Jack Benny show and Jack Benny's impact on Orson Welles because it goes both ways. Uh, we'll uh, be talking at uh, the main piece of this is that uh, Jack had gotten sick. We're thinking it was something like pneumonia and uh, was out for, I think, five weeks, six weeks. Give the give the date. Give a starting date. I don't have the starting dates. Oh. You need to have the starting dates. <laughs> I was planning on this thing at 11 o'clock. Hey. March 1943 until early April 1943. Yes. And then Wells did an early episode with Jack in 1940 when he was starting his career in Hollywood. So basically we're talking about six episodes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. the that's the good starting point because the 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 notion of Wells in comedy is kind of what's at the forefront of this discussion yeah. and consequently how it would influence him greatly. Um and he was uh, I know Buck and I were talking about this last night. We were we were trying to figure out if he had been on Fred Allen before or after, and I I, I still believe it's after because yeah, yeah because he makes a he's one of the few people comedian wise that I hear making an active Citizen Kane joke uh, during his program as Fred Allen. Uh, Jack obviously does not touch it, um, uh, but um, I you know like if I Buck um could we could we start with that first one the one with uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Because I think it's the good one to start with, obviously. Yeah, that's but, where I wanted to start things off. Is uh, and, and, but the bulk of it will be when he was taken over for Jack uh, later. But anyway, so in 1940, does anyone have the exact date on that one? Uh, it's early. It's like February or March as well. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. But uh, very good. We'll look it up for you. But anyway, uh, so Orson came in as as a guest on the Jack Benny show. And Jack's writers decided to play with the fact that Orson is kind of a wonderkin and in charge of everything. And and uh, and so they really played off of that. And it came across really, really well. It it worked uh, as and, and Jack being kind of a uh, hyper fan that wanted uh, to get all this input on and so that he could be a great actor himself and and be involved with Orson um it's a, it's a wonderful episode really and let's I'm gonna I'm just gonna throw it over to uh well let's throw it over to um Vincent and get Vincent's thought on on do you know do you know why that all of a sudden Orson decided to be on a Jack Benny show I mean as far as I know it was the first comedy show that he kind of showed up on and March March 17th, 1940. 1940, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I want to start with first a meta commentary and to say yeah. that how lovely this whole convention is, and there'll be a point to this, because I've spoken at many Orson Welles conventions, Orson Welles panels, and as Zach sort of alluded to, there are actual fights and yelling and screaming, and, you know, there's a lot of concern over Welles. Well, artist, that could happen. That might show. happen in here. We'll see. I mean, and I welcome it. I welcome <laughs> it. But what I've seen has been very lovely. And I think it. the point is there is that, you know, this is showing a different side of Orson Welles than is often talked about in Orson Welles circles. You know, Welles as a comedian is something Welles personally was always interested in and hoped for, but, you know, never really became sort of a part of his 
uh, persona or um, legacy. And so this is a really nice different side of Orson Welles. Um, and it's nice to, you know, everyone cheering each other on. It's just a general note on panelists. So I'm happy for that. Why was Wells doing this in 1940, the, this first episode? So he was uh, transitioning to making Citizen Kane. This was very early in actually producing Citizen Kane when he came to Hollywood in 1939 as this sort of wonderkin with this Hollywood uh, contract that gave him, you know, basically total artistic control over, you know, what was supposed to be four films ended up being one and a half, two. Um, he was trying to make an adaptation of Heart of Darkness, basically all the end of 1939. It didn't happen for lots of reasons. And so he's transitioning to make Citizen Kane. So I actually think this is sort of in a blip of mm -hmm. time where he has a little bit more time and is not on set. And so, you know, again, they're trying to build up, you know, Wells and, and his people around him are trying to build him up as a celebrity in Hollywood and as a filmmaker and as a great ar uh, artist, which he, of course, had a reputation from doing um you know campbell playhouse and mercury theater and things like that but you know as a filmmaker that's still sort of growing and the play in this episode is that they're trying to you know uh he's making a film and uh, and all this and so that's why he i think appears on this episode and decides to um you know take the invitation to come yeah very good um kathy what 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 do you think about his first appearance well, I'm curious. I, want, I want to ask vincent now orson uh, did he still have any um, CBS radio connections? Did did CBS have their hooks in him to continue anything about the Campbell Playhouse? Or, so sometimes uh, it yeah. was hard for a, a, a performer on one network to be able to appear on the other. And so, uh, you know, yeah. um, the Benny Allen feud could happen because they were both on NBC at the same time. So I'm right. curious, was there any, um, did they have to get Pope's dispensation uh, to... Uh, it's a great question. I I don't remember the exact timeline here, but Wells dips out of the radio for the most part around this period. Mm -hmm. um, and so I doubt it. Uh, this is him, I think, uh, free from some shackles um, at this time. Yeah, because he's well, he's focused on what any 24, 20, 23 to 24 year old would be, which is, oh, I've been given the most unprecedented contract in Hollywood history and they expect me to deliver. Um, it's, 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 it's kind of, re it's kind of remarkable in that respect that it's just like you hear him on here and he sounds so beyond his years, but like there's a kid running around Hollywood that's been given the keys to the kingdom uh, in a lot of respects, not necessarily financially, but creatively. Um, yeah. But I, I love this episode for two reasons. One is it is an encapsulation of this wonderkind aspect, right? If you listen to it, it's, you know, Wells is basically too good for everyone else. He's totally in control. He's solidified as this great intellectual artist um, and all that, you know, very Shakespearean, taken very seriously. But on the other hand, he's not good at comedic performances. He's not used to this. And so he's laughing the entire episode. It's this great moment where everything is just sort of like Wells laughing at Jack's delivery, everyone's delivery. And so you see sort of like the cracks of this really um, overly intellectual persona that they're playing up, but is well understood in, in Hollywood at this time. So it's a great sort of like combination of aspects of Wells, really loving comedy, having a great time, not doing all that great in terms of, you know, trying to keep his character. Um, but it, yeah, and I I really love that episode for this reason. How does, he, what does um, the public think about Wells at this time? Because because he this is pre Citizen Kane, this is post uh, War of the Worlds. So yeah. they I assume the public knows him as War the War of the Worlds guy and mm -hmm. and yep. this guy that shook up all radio and scared the nation supposedly. And they also probably know, I assume it's widely known that he's got this ultra contract uh, to to jump into film. Uh, and yep. but he hasn't yet done that. He hasn't yet produced that they've seen. So that's yep. kind of where they're at with him. Is that generally the, the consensus of the public that they understand that he's he's got this thing and, and, he, and he's going to be making pictures? Mm -hmm. I don't think that they know about his contract at all. I'm not sure. I mean, that was obviously talked about in the trades, but I don't, I mean, they might've, might've been a loose thing, you know, in newspapers, but it wasn't what he was known for. Certainly by this point, he's known heavily for War of the Worlds. 
um, you know, the RKO, the studio he was working for, wanted him to make a film adaptation of Heart of, or sorry, of War of the Worlds for his first film. It had like a hundred percent approval rating in their polls and audience research and stuff like that. But the thing that's also evident in this episode is there's almost no discussion of, of War of the Worlds. I think in this one, if I remember correctly, Dennis makes a joke about, um, you know, well, scaring people. And it's just sort of as a joke quickly put in there. But I think there's two reasons for that. One is Wells did not like talking about War of the Worlds because mm -hmm. he felt pigeonholed at this time. He felt that um, it detracted from him being an artist and intellectual, which he largely considered himself to be as much he was interested in comedy. And so it's only thrown in there very sparingly. And, and a lot of the stuff that Wells does from 1939 to like 1941 before Citizen Kane is a lot about trying to move away from any association with scaring people, with being a sort of a hoaxer, prankster. Um, these are things that he lived with at this time period that he becomes okay with later. But I think that's why it's not a major thing in the show. It's just kind of thrown in there. And it's really just playing up him as a, you know, way better than everyone else at everything. The, I think the funniest part about this episode is that not only Wells is sort of treated as really smart, but that everybody in Wells's team, there's a bunch of secretaries in this episode, they're way better at acting than everyone else as well, his own secretaries. Like there's this joke about Jack being worse at acting than Wells's secretary or something like that. Um, and so uh, again, he wanted to be taken, I think, very seriously. And that's a, that's a part of this episode. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think so. And uh, I didn't realize that, that Hollywood wanted him to, to do bring over the worlds to film. I always respect people when they're known for one gigantic thing like that. And then they, they're like, oh, the logical thing is for you to do this. And then the artist can say, yeah, that might be the logical thing, but it's not what I want to do. Uh, here's what this I want This was at a period of time, the same way that Jack is making Man About Town and A Buck Benny Rides Again. Hollywood's in a deep funk. Attendance is not rising. They're having trouble that no one knows how to reach the uh, uh, the film audience, and radio is flying high. So um, pollster yep. George Gallup is hired by uh, 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 Hollywood Studios to come out and tell them what to do. And Gallup is saying Jack Benny should be the number one movie star because look how well he is promoting his own films, uh, pre-selling the films on the radio. So, you, I mean, that makes the desire to borrow more glory from radio and do um, uh, a War of the Worlds. And maybe so. Zach knows more on that. Uh, the, the, to me, I'd never get this. This is the part when I talk to you guys where it's a disconnect in my brain. Mm -hmm. Because 1939 is like this historic year where so many pictures come out that are just insanely good. And this... I mean, yeah. you have these wonderful things, Wizard of Oz, all these things coming out. And right. and yet I hear from you guys that in 1940, everybody's struggling and they can't. How do you make money? And how because, do you make it? Well, in, in 1939, um, the Wizard of Oz was a bust. Mm -hmm. So yep. it's the right. difference between how we value these films now versus what was happening at the time. So, yeah, but that's yep. where the, it's incongruent in my brain. I'm like, those these well, it, movies must have done well. We're still we're still in a depression at that point. We're still we're not we don't get out of the depression fully until this country uh, mobilizes for war. Right. Like right. The, the 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 with all the help that the that the the WPA the Works Projects Administration did you know, this country is still financially struggling and that's not, it's not an easy thing for everybody even today to, to be able to afford a movie. Like now things were done, prog progressive actions were taken that we've seen the benefits of down the line, but it's still, you know, they're, you know, at that time, like a lot of those actions are being fought, are being fought against a stone wall that is, that was a conservative party at that point, which was also keeping us from helping out in the war in Europe at that right. time until Pearl Harbor. So there's right. a lot yep. of there's a lot of factors right. in that respect that allow us to consider why that would be the case and also why RKO would want War of the Worlds over something that's a risk like Citizen Kane or Heart of Darkness yeah. because it's assured money, it's guaranteed in the bank. And I wanted to point something out because of how popular it was. Here's something that you can notice. But a week or two later after this episode, I think it is actually a week later, Morrow and Boulogne are on their best behavior with Orson. But once he's out of the room, 
they reference War of the Worlds because of this sunspots issue with the sun. And they have Jack calling Orson over the phone. You can't hear Orson, obviously. And he goes like, now come clean, Orson. <laughs> what did you do with the sun? <laughs> so, though, so the moment Morrow and Boulogne can get away with it, those two are going to get away with it. <laughs> so... But clearly it wasn't enough for them to be for Orson to be sore about it because he came back. Well, and, and, yeah. and Zach, yeah. do we know or anybody on the panel know, mm -hmm. as far as I can tell, what I would assume is it's one of these deals where he's on Jack's show essentially for free. And then Jack shows up on his show. He does he does June Moon like right around this time frame, right. doesn't he? The, yeah, yeah, he very does. Next yeah so so wouldn't that be one of those exchange things or do we know i don't know i think it is an exchange yeah. thing yeah yeah it's definitely an exchange thing so i was just i was just looking at this article which is talking about kathy was talking about polls mm -hmm. so um this is a poll in 1940 a little bit before this um you know certainly i think wells wins out here it, you know it says here that jack benny's program is number one in the polls both for overall and comedy Wells is number nine behind a bunch of others for overall, but he's the second highest in terms of like dramas. And so it's you know clearly a switch here. Um, Wells' show is ending, like we just talked about. So he's sort of getting out of it for Hollywood. But uh, And Wells' yeah, show is Campbell's Playhouse or something, right? At this point? Yeah, at this time, it would have been Campbell's Playhouse. Although I think soon, again, that gets dropped because Campbell doesn't love what he's doing either. So. <laughs> right. Right. I assume they, they like Jude Moon. Like I mean, Jude Moon was probably like the most like... uh, whatever populist based sort of thing where, where they're bringing in Jack Benny and having him do a show. I mean, that is uh, that June Moon presentation is really interesting and a fun one to hear Jack on a on a on a different show. Uh, it's 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 done fairly tongue in cheek and so forth, and so it's it's a lot of fun to have sort of t have this have Orson the fish out of water on Jack's show and then have Jack immediately be fish out of water on Orson's show is, is kind of a fun combination of the two back and forth. Um, anyway, but they'd established essentially this persona of Orson in this case. And then uh, Fred Allen decided, well, I can kind of jump on that and, and have Orson on my show doing the same sort of thing. And so then we follow him on to Fred's show. And what do folks think about his appearance on Fred? And Fred's show, that's about a year later in 41-ish 40, time frame. 41, I only have one note about it, which is, of all the shows that I have heard, and I'm not I'm not an OTR expert like some other people in the room, but I love OTR. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anybody say the word Citizen Kane on a radio show that didn't have anything to do with Orson. And I love listening to Fred Allen slyly quip about the controversy because you can read about it. You can hear the legend. You can listen to Wells' version. You can listen to Hausman's version. Um, and you can listen to them fight about it. But the bottom line is, is that it's so interesting to hear that. And it's clear that something happened a couple weeks before to instigate the narrative structure of that episode, which is Wells is like, no, 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 I'm not offended, Fred. In fact, I want you to help me with a play. And then he just relegates Alan to this role of somebody who only has one line of dialogue or knocks on the door. Uh, and then Peter Van Steeden or um, Al Goodman, whoever was his orchestra leader at the time, is cueing it too soon intentionally. So, um, yeah. And that's essentially the same bit that he does on jack's show right where right. jack hardly has anything to say and, and but, keep, but, shouldn't i be saying more be with, and yeah but it will be with mary right. so how interesting that that um the way orson and jack work is that jack gets to be made sort of foolish and stupid whereas i think with the appearance with fred allen who we think of as sort of smarter more culturally aware that how they pitch it is orson just um not giving fred a word edgewise would you mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. It's the same structure. I mean, I, I actually think it's, you know, the Fred Allen version is is quite derivative. It's got some different dynamics, given, like you said, Fred is a little bit different. But they even mention, I think, they sort of call out its own derivativeness at one point. They mention like, oh, well, you did this on Fred Allen's or on Jack Benny's show, so you can definitely survive this. You know, the usual Fred Allen dig on uh, Jack Benny. But yeah, it's it's pretty much the same. Um, 
yeah, I it's worth listening to, but uh, I think the Jack one is a little bit fresher. You know, sort of created the um, outline that would Fred Allen would use. So. Well, and it goes back to the whole thing with radio that that we luckily we're blessed with the fact that we can listen to all these radio shows and compare them back and forth and everything. But at the time, Fred's team are going, well, it's been over a year or something. How many people are going to remember what he did on Jack's show a year later? We can revisit it. That's not a problem. Whereas now you go, ooh, I probably would have done something a little different, a little bit different take to to make it not seem so much like a rehash of, of the Jack Benny appearance. Yeah, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy's um, show where they have Orson on, which I always find endlessly amusing because that's the program that seemingly people dial, uh, dial surfed over on War of the Worlds. Um, they literally change that around to having Orson give Charlie and Edgar a tour of a museum, um, which may or may not be a precursor to the Black Museum. Probably not. Do we know when <laughs> that show was done, when they, when Orson was on uh, uh, Charlie McCarthy? Uh, I think it's like 42, 43 or something like that. I could be way off. I have it on the comedy, one of my comedy sets over here. I'm here, yeah. vamp for a minute. <laughs> I mean, one one thing that I would say that's that's still true in Fred Allen, and this is going to matter when we start talking about these 1943 versions, but it's still the same Wells persona that's being played with, right? Wells, the overbearing director, the, um, you know, the intellectual who wants to control everything, far superior to everybody else because... That's always what they're going to play with, even in 1943, but it's going to shift. And we'll talk about why that's important, that it's going to shift in 1943 versus um, Fred Allen's continuation of the same sort of persona of Wells. He's still looking. As he keeps looking, we'll keep going. But I believe that one falls after... Uh, 43 or 44, sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ah, there's Charlie. <laughs> So, so that one follows definitely after the Fred Allen appearance, perhaps before the Jack Benny takes over for Jack or after he takes over for Jack. We're not sure right around that same time frame is what it sounds like. Um, Zach, is that um, correct? I think so, yeah, Kathy. He takes over Jack in March of 43. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, yes. Now we, then we have a period where Orson is, is highly, you know, totally involved finally with making uh, uh, Citizen Kane and its appearance yeah. and the controversies. So when uh, uh, Orson is uh, does Jack a, an incredibly solid favor of coming in, he's not just an invitee, but uh, uh, he's coming back to the show in, uh, what is it, 43? Yep, um, yeah. March 43. Uh, uh, and, under different circumstances. Yeah. And right before yeah. that, before he comes on, the, the Jack is sick. The episode, so he has to have replacements come in for him. He has Burns and Allen come on yeah. the show, take over for a week. Essentially, that one's treated almost like a Burns and Allen show with Jack's cast guesting. It's sort of it's it's interesting how that show plays out. Then Jack is still gone. They ask Orson to come in. We're not sure how many weeks they figure for Orson to come in or whether they're just planning on one. Uh, Vincent says two, that they were planning on two. So that's good. So, which makes sense because the two that they do kind of work as standalones and then they go a different direction in the third episode. So this first one where Orson appears, uh, Mary's with Jack. So Mary's not on the episode, uh, assuming... She's helping take care of Jack or making sure that he's doing all right or whatever. Or she's got another bout of laryngitis, whatever. And, uh, and, then, and then we have, but we do have Phil that's been gone for 16 weeks uh, in the Merchant Marines with apparently his band in the Merchant Marines. Mm -hmm. uh, they all come back uh, on this date. And this is where for Phil's back. And they do a lot of, Phil comes on like full for Phil in this one, and it's really Phil and Orson that that uh, lead this episode. But it is such a, a fun, wonderful episode, and this whole arc that is going to happen with Orson, whether it's an inadvertent arc or a purposeful arc or half and half sort of thing, it's really quite quite impressive. And as we walk through it, each episode has something that it stands out about, something that's unique about it that we can talk about. Um, anyway, we'll start with this with this first one where Orson takes over for Jack, and I'll throw it over to uh, Vincent to get sort of 
his thoughts on what's going on right now with in Orson Welles' life and what's and uh, why do you think this sort of all happened? What do you think of the episode itself? Go ahead, Vincent. Yeah, so um, you know, in 1943, Welles' um, celebrity and sort of reputation in Hollywood and in radio has shifted dramatically. Uh, there's still a little bit of the sort of wonderkind artist, intellectual, but you know, he's sort of shamed. Um, you know, Citizen Kane was not a major hit um, by any means. Uh, Magnificent Ambersons, his second film, was chopped up by the studio over budget. Um, then he went, you know, uh, with the invitation by the U.S. government to uh, Brazil to make a movie, which was supposed to be, you know, just kind of flashy and happy. And he ended up making, trying to make a film about race relations in Brazil and class issues. They hated that took him out of Brazil. And basically he was, um, you know, uh, depicted and uh, talked about as a spendthrift, as somebody who couldn't take direction, didn't listen to authority, uh, made horrible decisions. And this is sort of um, the new persona of Wells that we see played with this in, in this episode for comedy. One of the things that I, I wanted to mention before I uh, elaborate on that a little bit more is that Orson Welles mentions Jack Benny one time in his his uh, his biography. It's essentially an autobiography, but it's um, written largely by Barbara Leeming in the in the 80s. And he mentions uh, Jack Benny uh, particularly as encapsulating the Welles persona that haunted Welles throughout his entire life. And as one thing that I would say is I think Welles is right, but it does shift here from the 1940s sort of wonderkin to the 1943 one. And in this episode, it's I mean it's really is funny but it's much different for Wells. He makes horrible decisions the entire time. So he's still very overbearing, very intellectual. But at one point he wants Don Wilson to sing instead of um, Dennis. Um, he uh, calls Grape Nuts and yells at the sponsor and says, we need to change all these things. What is the idea? Oh, you need to have one single Grape Nut in the whole package. And also Wells should be on the, you know, on the cover of the box wearing tights instead and, of Jack. And carrying a spear. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, he also like reads his own script and then changes everything to the polar opposite. So it's like a million dollar changes. And so you can see here a dramatic change from what was in 1940, which is Wells doing all these horrible things that nobody would think is a good idea and he's spending tons of money. And so he says playing with his own perception here, I think in a really creative, fun way. There's well, a, there's my a line favorite in there. part is the when they when they play with Phil, who Phil is, because Phil comes back, of course, and they play at the same time with Orson and what you know him for. So like they're spraying down all the microphones and everything, and then they yeah. when are you Mr. Harris or whatever? And yes, and so then they spray down Phil Harris, which totally <laughs> makes sense that if you're going to decontaminate things, you're going to decontaminate Phil Harris. In the there's process. a there's a line in there also like to to uh, to to add on to Vincent's there where he's on the phone with the sponsor and he goes, what do you think of that idea? There's a little pause and he goes, it does not. <laughs> well, well Kathy, what do you think defensive. about this, this well, first episode? Everything you all have said, the idea of Jack was always so terrified of his sponsor would do anything to, you know, keep the show uh, going another season and things like that. So indeed the, uh, uh, the hutfa of, uh, of Orson Welles to just call up and demand these things. <laughs> it was uh, delightful to hear. And you can, you can imagine the Jack character uh, in bed in Chicago or wherever, just sort of quaking. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, well, these yeah, first Welles did have problems with his but... own sponsors as well. I should say in radio which is would follow him the rest of his career, not only Campbell Playhouse, um, you know, but if you've listened to other Buck um, Benny podcasts, I mean, pretty much he loses every sponsor for the rest of his career. Yeah. Usually in even, the middle of the show. Get, and it can't even get one. Was it? We're, we're doing the Eversharps not too long ago. Like you can't, he can't even get them past the pilot stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have the ads embedded, but they don't even release the show. <laughs> just it's like, like, yeah, don't on. worry about it. Nobody's going to care about his commentaries. Certainly not but, a podcast years later. Now, <laughs> it, is it in this episode where Rochester is is engaged as, uh, it, is it this episode or the next episode where Rochester is now going to work for Orson Welles? Next Wells? one. That's the next one. Next one. Next one. Okay. Yeah. So yes, yep. I guess in this episode, Rochester is also with Jack and Mary in the narrative. That, that's right. 
Chicago. Yeah, they do have a conversation uh, on the on the phone. Uh, Wells and Rochester, but it's about Rita Hayworth. Okay. He mentions because Wells right. and and Rita Hayworth had had basically recently been dating, and there's a sort of joke that I think Rochester or somebody's going to make her a T-bone steak or something. Um, yeah. That's right. Well, and the one thing this episode has uh, more of than than they, they start playing it down a little bit, but they're still on next week's episode, is a lot of assistance to Orson that are on here. They're funny. They do a great job. But I think they were they had them thrown in just to kind of pad because they don't have Jack. And so they're going, OK, well, you need to make sure this works. And if. Orson's going to stumble at all or anything. We've, we've got this all padded up and don't have him doing as much. But then as this progresses, they free Orson more and more to be a bigger and bigger part of the show and, and, and so forth. So so that, I think, is what's kind of going on in the background, too. Well, yes, it, if you when you go back, well, our dear audience, when you go back and listen to these shows, they have Verna Felton, who had been Dennis's mother, come on yeah. and play the Miss Harrington, who's the officious and bossy lead uh, uh, secretary. And it's so interesting how she tries to shift her voice just a little bit so that you don't think it's Dennis's mother, but you know that it's a woman who, you know, uh, uh, who likes to boss people around. And it yeah. works. She shifts her voice just enough that, I mean, you can tell if you think about it, but it's like, yeah, no, she does a really nice know. job in this role. Yeah. Uh, all his assistants do. It, is Frank Nelson one of the assistants on this one? I can't remember. If he, uh, shows up. he might yes, be Mr. Tootlecordle. Oh, maybe that's it. Tootlecordle, yeah. 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 Great yeah. name. And and they the way they carry those threads is is fun because it carries all at least uh, Miss Harrington carries into the final appearance by Orson with Jack having returned. So I love how they kind of try to create a mini arc for her character because she does have an emotional release where she finally says, "I know just how you feel, Daddy," and because just to be and then Mary has the line, "Well, I'll be darned, she's human." Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hello, Butch. Hello, boy. Hello, Slugger. <laughs> well, and I'll point out that that we're covering going to cover a lot of ground here. We're spending just a few minutes on each episode so we can cover some of this. But uh, we also, for when they come up, which they'll be up uh, next month, I play them, uh, you know, on their anniversary dates. Uh, our whole team here will be presenting on each episode. And each time we talk about an episode, we're probably going to go about as long as we go here to talk about all of them. So, uh, if you wanted a deeper dive into that, you can tune into the podcast when that comes up here next month. Uh, and the and the other piece I'll throw out there too, just as a quick blurb. We also all kind of appear on the uh, uh, Orson Welles Wednesdays that we have, where we talk about the commentaries and things. So you might want to tune into that when we have that on yes. Wednesdays on on our podcast as well on the uh, Jack Benny OT Jack Benny Show OTR podcast. Anyway, so there we go. So let's let, but let's keep moving. <laughs> So now, after that plug, uh, let's go to the second episode. Um, so the second one, they visit uh, Orson's studio, at which, which to me was a great idea. Let's take the cast and go visit the studio and see what happens then. For I guess for this episode and and future episodes, the whole run, I just love. I love that we have these. I love that it's a different. We get the cast in a different way than we usually do. Usually we get the cast all relating. Jack says something and, and talks to Don and Don to Jack, Don to Jack, and then Jack to Mary, Jack to Mary, Jack to Mary. And then da Jack talks to Dennis, Jack, Jack to Dennis, Jack to Dennis. You don't get the cast talking to each other all that much on the show. With this, because Jack's out of the picture for this whole time, you end up with lots of Jack talking, I mean, lots of Mary talking to Phil, lots of uh, Mary talking to Dennis, talking to Don, Don to Phil. I mean, you, you get a lot of cross chatter going on that you don't normally get as much. Um, and and Mary's back on this one. So the big thing is is Mary's return and she makes a nice big return in this one. We we love having her. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the thrust that I see of this episode. But uh, let's go ahead and... and uh, Let's go over to Kathy and see what her thoughts are on the second well, one. The, those are great points, Daryl, because it points up how sort of more three-dimensional that these characters, that these, uh, you know, side characters are in the Benny show versus what happens on other comedians 
sort of variety comedy shows where who where they're um, sort of have one catchphrase and really you know not much of a character after that uh, uh that they in a way on the other hand this is this is jack's show and and what a uh, a dilemma what uh, uh you know what a crisis they are facing that he is so ill and now gone this is the third week in a row uh, uh so i'm sure the sponsor's all upset and worried and Jack is probably, you know, sick, but just terrified. How do you keep the show going? How do you have people not abandon it? And um, and so Orson is doing, some, um, you know, a marvelous favor uh, and doing it quite well of continuing his character on, as well as Morrow and Beloyne have really stepped up to the plate to oh. be able to write uh, to write this interesting <laughs> character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and Vincent didn't. You had information like that you found, I think, that, that it, this was supposed to be a two-week thing. And was it already pre-planned or something? Like they were going to do this, like a, it was Jack on vacation That's right. or something? Or I don't know what the... Yeah, so Jack, I mean, you know, he was on tour before this. Um, and he got sick, but he was planning on taking a two-week vacation or a three-week vacation. First oh, week with wow. Bernie Allens and then um, and then two weeks with Orson. So that was that was planned before he got sick. Yeah, it's pretty long. It's pretty long. And then he gets sick. And so then they extend it out from there. And so, yeah, Wells was planning on being in the show um, at least two episodes. And then this would be the final of those two episodes, which, you know, I think we should note is strange because there's a literal arc, a narrative arc between these episodes, which I think people mention is not that common. Like at the end of the last episode, Wells invites them to come to the studio. And then this episode is them coming to the studio. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was it was planned before Jack got sick. Wow. Can I, Just can I, he, he never, it's all, very rare that he ever other, t ever takes another vacation during the middle of the, of the season again. Yeah. And I want to point out that the funniest thing about this episode, it's the only comment I have on it is I think it's hilarious that the writers would think that Orson would have his own production studio. That is hilarious to me because this, it's not because it's not any shade on Orson. I love the man to death and all of his films actually, but the, the, it's such a funny joke in hindsight because of what we know about his relationships with studios all throughout his life. And the fact that the writers had the gumption and gall to be like, well, he's got his own production studio. Wonder if Orson's kind of looking at it going like, ha, that's funny. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Really, really cute joke, boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and they do such a beautiful job coming to his studio and, and just having yeah. fun. I mean, I, I really enjoy this. Now, it, this could yeah. have something to do with if Jack is contracted to Paramount at this point, they couldn't, you know, maybe they couldn't say. Oh, that is a good point. You know, so mm, yeah. you, you never know all the, yeah. all the, oh, all the I didn't ways even... in which... I didn't even think about that. Limited, so. That's a that's that's a great point. Because then, yeah, because that would have been because you talk about it in your book, Kathy, about how like you know one one studio won't trump on another, and you know, and and, right. and right. Uh, some of the yeah, yeah. Oh hey, my Zach, God. how are we doing for time? Because I'm I'm just kind of judging how long we can spend on each episode. I, I think we've got at least another uh, ten minutes before we okay. probably should wind down. Um, okay. But so let's I, keep moving through then. Let's go mm -hmm. to the, the next episode is now it changes direction entirely yet again, because yeah. like like Vincent was saying, they sort of planned on the first two. So the first two kind of work together. And now it's like, OK, what are we going to do now? They, uh, you could just see the the brains of the writers going, well, let's do one of our uh, let's do one of our murder mystery things and, and have it Orson involved in this. And we could have Mary do her her over the top, um, uh, who, who, who did she imitate always? Well, it, it had been Mae West, yeah. but now it turns into a kind of film noir femme fatale. Yeah, uh, but I love Elizabeth it when she does it. And this is one of her best ones. She really does a good job with this one. Uh, anyway, a fun episode throughout this one. And and they're they starting to jettison a lot more of the supporting people that were uh, his assistants and so forth and focus on the main cast of the show carrying the show along with Orson sort of just replacing Jack as as lead in the show and I think it's a fun 
changes sort of happens and, and i love that vincent i mean i sorry uh it looks like you got something to say zach oh so. and i was gonna say and then in in place of that you get orson starting to have internal dilemmas because he says the line yes mr wells yes mr wells sometimes i wish i wasn't a genius so people could quibble with me and i'm like oh my god this is cool we're getting a character out of yeah. orson here it's like he's got thoughts he's four-dimensional now that's awesome <laughs> Yes, they start to develop him as more of a character in these because they're going, okay, yeah. well, we don't know how long this is going to keep going. So I guess we got we need to develop Orson. And it works. I mean, it really works nicely. And these are very enjoyable episodes. It's not like you're going to go, oh, there's a guest host or whatever. Let's skip these episodes and just get back to the ones with Jack because it's, it's really neat to hear the cast themselves gelling so well with each other. The writers really stepping up to the plate. And then, of course, you got Orson on top of it. Uh, Vincent, what do you got on this one, or what do you think? Of yeah, the so in the, I mean, starting in the last episode, but especially this episode, like you said, Wells becomes a character, and in many ways, he becomes the really a, um, a sort of a replacement lead for Jack. Literally, so much that in the narrative, he lives at Jack's house, and Rochester is his um, butler and not Jack's temporarily. And so, you know, we start to lose some of the really uh, specific parts of Wells's um, persona. Like he's he's not anymore like spending a bunch of money or making really dumb decisions. He's really eccentric. Like he is eating very expensive food and he's always introduced with trumpets and a gong, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Um, but again, we start to see these running jokes with Orson Welles um, as a, like, a, I, you know, I, I think I said at some other time, but we start imagining Wells as a character that maybe could pop in later throughout the series. Like he really does get running jokes. The other thing, though, that I he uh, that I think is a, absolutely crucial is he starts to build a, a really genuine rapport with Rochester's character. It's a stark uh, contrast to what we see with Jack, even in the last episode in this series when Jack comes back. Wells is super nice with Rochester. He gives him stuff that, you know, Rochester says many times, like working with you, Mr. Wells is paradise. I love it. I wish I could come work for you afterward. Um, and, you know, as we as I think it is worth noting, it's not only narratively, but, you know, Wells is a big champion for civil rights um, and, you know, better representation for African-Americans. And we see this played out, whether it was Wells' idea or the writers, he's not mean. He doesn't make fun of Rochester pretty much ever. Um, and you and feel so and you totally feel when he talks, to, he just his voice changes entirely when he talks to Rochester. It's his caring supporting i care about you as a person i'm i'm interested in what you have to say it's 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 really touching and it's really he does a, a it's some of the best acting i think he does on the whole thing is is he he really um lets audiences in on hey you know there's a relationship between orson and rochester and it's special and and uh rochester is a special person and i love that yeah very good um then uh Let's jump into so the next one is uh they do Little Red Riding Hood and uh a lot of fun doing Little Red Riding Hood. Another great choice by the writers to do this. Uh this is this one, I think these last two have featured uh the writers as the characters that they play of the soda jerks Gil sort of the guys radcliffe and gilroy my gilroy, favorite yes. soda jerks <laughs> and this is this one of the episode after this i can't remember which one's which but uh they it's it's their last appearance as those characters that they will ever do on the jack benny show and uh it's it's just fun i love those characters i love whenever they've appeared on jack's show and having them appear and and relate to the cast members and with Orson uh, is, is a lot of fun. I, lo I, I love those parts that they have. A, a, I think they're featured in two episodes. It, it might have been the last one in this one or this one in the next one. But anyway. Yeah, and they have great lines. Like, I'm, I'm not a fan of sizes humor per se, but like, I love when they're going like, would you like to stay and listen to your little opus? And they go, can we stay? We can't stay. That fat lady's waiting for her cheeseburger. It's just the way he's <laughs> delivering the line. I'm just like, this is silly. This is too darn silly. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> this is the, it's the inflection in his voice. I love it. This, yeah. this, this is the episode where they start to play with Orson Welles as a character too, right? Because um, as I said many times before, he's taken like as intellectual, as very serious. In the other episodes, he always does a dramatic reading at the end. This time it's Little Red Riding Hood, which of course, you know, Welles would never do. And he, and he actually performs very badly. Like he actually <laughs> does bad acting. 
Yes. And it's actually the one time I think I've ever heard Orson Welles even pretend to be bad at acting. <laughs> and so it's this really funny moment where they're playing with Welles. What we, it's an ironic uh, you know, way of presenting Welles. And I should say, we're talking about you know, the influence Jack Benny's show had on Welles. You know, shortly after this, less than a year later, Welles comes out with his own variety show and tries to make it as a comic. And so we can see this thread. It's not successful, I think, because you know, they didn't have as good a writers as Jack did. But mm -hmm. um, this, you know, I think this is really pumping Wells up to think I can do this. I can be a comedian. And the, um, and the yeah. issue is, is that they don't uh, those writers for the Almanac later on don't allow Horson or Orson to be multidimensional. They keep on the trend of him being the genius and undisputed genius. And it just is like, no, they're uh, Morrow and Boulogne are knocking him down a few pegs in these two episodes. And that's something that the Almanac doesn't allow for, which is interesting. And it should. Yeah, yeah it, it should. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it, unfortunately, it doesn't work because he is funny if with the right writers writing for him and everything. And the Almanac, I think, would have worked. He had, he had wonderful guest stars on the Almanac and things. It's just De Dennis was uh, a should guest, have had yeah. better writing. Um, and, and, and just to throw this out for people because they might not know that it exists out there. Uh, what, who, I'm sure one of you remembers, which university is it that has all oh, the- University of Indiana. Thank you. Yeah. you if you go to the University of Indiana's website and, and, you, and you find the, the Orson Welles uh, collection, uh, you can listen to the almanacs and they all sound gorgeous. So I think, I assume they're from Orson's private collection of these things. And so they'll have a lot of shows there, not, not just the almanacs, but the, the, well, the commentaries are the ones we've uh, loved getting uh, because before this, the commentaries, there was like eight of them. And now there's all of them, there like 65 of them or something. Uh, uh, Annette, um, is, Annette is pointing out it's uh, IU Bloomington. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a great place to go listen to them. They they've mastered them in really nice sound quality. They haven't overdone anything. It's a very nice. They just sound really really good. So yeah. Yeah, I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to say if I, I I took a minute to pull up a clip, a small clip about the one where Jack returns because I know we're heading towards that direction. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear a little bit of how? Yeah, Jack let's let's hop into the one where Jack returns and you play the clip to introduce it. That sounds All good. All right, so everybody here enjoy the dulcet tones of Jack Benny. Here, take the bed. I'll go out and hang on the clothesline. For heaven's sake. Now, let's get going with this rehearsal, whether Mr. Wells is standing, sitting, or floating around the room. Now, the first thing to do is, Orson, come down here. <laughs> He knows more magic. <laughs> now, the, the first thing to do is run over the dialogue. Run over the dialogue? Oh, no, that'll never do. No, 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 no. What do you mean, no, 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 Comedy, Jack, should never be rehearsed. Repetition destroys its sparkle and spontaneity. But all important elements of a variety program are the songs and music. Look, now, Dennis, yeah. I want you to run over your song so we can get an idea of its length. Now, wait a minute, Orson. This rehearsal is my business. You're not even going to be on the show. I know, but I should be listening. It's about time we listeners had something to say. Thank you. <laughs> I see what you mean, sir. Yeah, I, I figured that's the one we I think we all love when we talk on off chat is and it's one of my favorite Orson Welles things ever is uh, something where he doesn't even say a word of a dialogue, but it's all around that mythos of him. Uh, and I just the line Orson come down here speaks so many visual volumes in your head compared to anything Orson could have even As done. He's floating around the room, supposedly. Yeah, yeah just it. like a superhero, you know, superhero of cinema. <laughs> Well, and that's, the that's one of the ways. Go ahead. Go ahead, Buck. Oh, okay. oh I was just going to say that's one of the ways that this works <laughs> so well. We never know who's taking over. But it's just the fact that, that this whole arc, there's been something new with every episode. And Jack doesn't just come back and there's no Orson and he's sort of explaining, well, I took them back and Orson's gone. It's this nice little handoff between the two that, that, that caps the whole thing off, and I love that. But anyway, now back to you, Vincent. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, luckily what I was going to say dovetails very well with what you're going to say. So, I mean, the great thing about this episode is that 
you know, Jack's coming back, but everybody's totally fine if Jack doesn't come back. That's like the joke, right? Like <laughs> Mary, Mary, Mary's like, he's he's like, oh, you know, Wells is not that great. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like the greatest oh. actor. Everything he, everything he says is profound. Or later when the doctor comes in in that episode and, and he goes, Jack's like, I got to get to my show. I got to record. And he's like, oh, what? Is Orson sick? And like, there's, <laughs> you know, this running joke of like, Oh, Wells can do it. It's fine. There's a week yeah. later, Dennis says a line where it's like, or, 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 or maybe there's, I can't, I'm, tr I think it's either this one or the next one, but Dennis says, gosh, the Orson Wells program without Orson Wells. I worry about things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and yet, um, that, uh, Miss Harrington, uh, played by Verna Felton is now allowed to let her hair down. And make fun of her boss and go, you know, what a what a job and things it's, like that. So it, they're really having fun with this. That feels like the one time where Verna Felton spoke in a normal tenor or tenor at some point that wasn't the Blue Fairy and uh, Cinderella, you know, yeah. or the Fairy Godmother. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. I would love to have had uh, the only thing I miss in this that I would have loved to have had, or the week after this is had uh dennis's mom show up and have an argument between dennis's mom and uh the, the other character you know the, where both characters are, are going against each other i don't know if she could change voices that quickly to go back and forth between them but that would have been fun she could have been a mel blank where it's like i can inhabit two different characters at once and i can do an imitation of bugs bunny doing an imitation of daffy duck you know <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, he did so many meta things. It's like crazy. Mm -hmm. anyway. So, so I'm curious, Vincent. What after after this lovely sojourn of earning some money on the on the Jack Benny program? What uh, what did this boy Orson's uh, career or state of mind? Do you know what what happened right afterward? Yeah. So, um, not much happened afterward. Like I said, the almanac comes up. Um, you know, in 1944, he's starting to try to make a couple films. Um, those don't go anywhere. Like at this point, he's trying to make, um, you know, talking about making, um, pushing stories of African-Americans and their voices. He's trying to make a biopic of Burt William, um, uh, Williams, the oh. vaudevillian. Uh, lots of things don't come to fruition. He tries the almanac. Um, but anyway, yeah, not not too much. Eventually, you know, down the line, he makes uh, The Stranger and things like that. Um, but, you know, it's funny, off screen, not part of this episode, uh, Jack gave Orson Welles like a fake award for stepping in for him. I have a picture of it, which I'll share. Oh. There's one online, too. And it's like this really? it's like this stubby baby that Jack gives to him. And it's supposed to be this joke about Welles being like, you know, young and a child and stuff like that. Um, but it's this nice moment where I think, um, you know, seems to cement Jack is really appreciative of stepping in for longer than was expected. And so I, I find that a nice you know, a nice uh, conclusion to Wells's foray in the Jack Benny show. And and uh, Zach, we have a question uh, over here. I'm reading it's what is the almanac? Maybe you can explain a little bit about what the almanac was and maybe how long it did it run for two years or a year? I, can't I think remember. it'd be barely a year. Um, so um, the almanac was um, uh, 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 well, thank you, Zach. That was helpful. Red, you want me to step in and tell you? Find the sign of the follow the sign of the flying red horse. I think it's mobile um, or um, uh, one of the uh, gas companies, but they sponsored an almanac sick uh, a, a version of what Orson was doing in these comedy runs on Jack's program. And it's set up like a variety show. He has his own little clique of characters. One of the unique things about it is that he begins the show with facts that kind of are strewn about. And then there's one fake slash funny fa fact that uh, that then leads into the comedy. And there's an element of the Orson Welles fan club, which consists of four women. Um, and actually, they lose one member at one point to the Frank Sinatra Club. Um, and uh, the the interesting things to note about it for me are actually like among them is that one, he gets a plethora of guest stars, but the tone seems off and uneven. And it's again, he's not allowed to be knocked down a few pegs. It's almost like the writers are afraid to do it, even though Wells himself would have probably cherished it. Um, but also he has Hedda Hopper on in one episode and he, uh, Hedda Hopper is sort of partially responsible for the big blow up with Kane because she got a screen. She saw Kane early and then she bragged about it and then Luella I might be getting the 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 whole uh, niche of it wrong Vincent you might have to correct me but basically Hedda saw it before 
Luella, and Luella was a Hearst columnist, and Luella threw it through a through a hissy fit, as it were, and screamed like a little child that she is, because um, she was not a good human being, folks. Um, and um, and that's when Luella saw the film, and then was just like, "You're gonna have the biggest lawsuit on your hands, and my boss won't tolerate it." And me, 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 me. Um, so uh, that uh, that I find interesting is that even though Hedda kind of threw Orson under the bus, so to speak. He still appreciated Hedda and even said later on, like, I totally get why she did it. If you are a woman working in that industry and you have a chance to have this big scoop, I'd take it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's uh, it's interesting from that perspective. But all those episodes that are currently available that exist are on that IU Bloomington site. And I will post the link here in a second while Buck wraps us up. There, yeah. there, there's two good stories about the almanac I can share. It was, after that, it was done from his home on Sunday. And George Fenneman, the announcer for You Bet Your Life, was the announcer for a while. Well, one time, it was done live, one time he couldn't see Orson. And it was showtime, it was airtime, he was reading the, the announcement, and he heard this big flush. And he, Orson stepped out of the bathroom, and that went over the air. And the other time was, he was married to Rita Hayworth at the time. Yeah. And, uh... George was there, and, and uh, Orson had a little daughter. He said, why don't you go up and get your mom and have her come down and do the radio show? And the girl came running down and just laughed, and, mom, and she said, well, Mom ain't going to do your radio show. That, those are the two famous stories about the almanac. <laughs> That's great. And he, did, he had Dennis Day on sometimes. He had, he had a number of, of uh, folks that... that are, do a lot of guest appearances on things. Lucille Ball was on there. I mean, just a, a lot of different folks. So it's definitely one where, that we're looking at after we're done with the commentaries and everything. It's probably going to be the next thing that we bring to you on our Orson Welles Wednesdays are going to be the almanacs. We'll see if we can make it through all the almanacs or if we feel like, okay, this is, you know, we I'll, might, I'll, we'll I'll do it. at least three or four. I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. I don't care if I'm alone. I'll, I'll make my own Zoom. Okay. I love, it might I'll, just turn into the, the, the Zach Almanac show, but we'll see. <laughs> but I, I, I have, I, the, one of the reasons I'm glad we were able to do this panel and want to thank you all for doing it as yeah. we're, as we're drawing to a close is that I, I love talking about Jack Benny, but I love talking about Orson Welles and I love defending Orson Welles because he's not the sole egomaniac uh spoiled child that everybody thinks he is he was one of our greatest cinematic artists and he gets underappreciated even to this day especially by david fincher (laughs) but uh that's uh neither here nor there um well and we do uh we've been doing his talking about his 15 minute commentaries that he did in what 46 and 47 yeah Mm -hmm. and uh it's so much fun to talk about him but the joke always is he fits so much into 15 minutes. We usually end up doing an introduction that's like a half hour, 45 minutes long before we get to his 15 minutes. And and then I always have people commenting, oh, we just listened to what you guys had to say and then and then I don't listen to Orson. I'm like, no, you, you, that's why you're here. Listen to Orson. <laughs> remember, don't listen that to was, those are empl- employees at Spotify who told us that, remember? Yeah, they said, yeah, they only listen to the beginning and then they don't listen to Orson Welles. And that's when I said, what do you know? Your, your top rated program ain't not worth nothing compared to Benny. You don't understand Benny. the concept of an intro. It's, <laughs> it's not the show. <laughs> anyway, but... Uh, no, we love to do it. So yeah, so feel free to tune in any Wednesday to hear the, hear all of us chatting about uh, Orson. It's always fun. Uh, anyway, this was wonderful to be able to present this, to be able to talk. I've always wanted to do this at the at, at the convention. Uh, and Zach, because you know more about the history of the convention and stuff, I assume they've done like the arc, the Yosemite arc that someone's presented on on that and. Oh, well, there's look that we found something to maybe cover next year. I would oh. love to talk about Yosemite oh, Arc. That's the that. that's the Jack Benny movie I wish got made. Yeah, that's the Jack, Jack Benny movie I wish got made. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. So there, look at that. A preview for next for next year. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll turn it back over to Zach and and what a fun thing. And I'm looking forward to this afternoon as Zach and I are going to interview uh uh, Mr. Stewart, and that is going to be wonderful, uh, Stuart Kanan. So uh, that should be delightful. And thank you so much, Vincent, for coming and, and joining us. Kathy, man, I, I mean, 
I, I was thinking about how I, I didn't get a chance to really introduce Kathy to why I really wanted to, but but Kathy does does more of my podcasts than anybody else. And we I just love having her. She's a, she's a, a wonderful partner to oh, have. And, and we just we it, just it, have fun. It's because you are a fabulous, knowledgeable, creative, and generous host, Carol. <laughs> you're the best. <laughs>